When we talk about the history of the southwestern United States, we're mostly thinking about the people's history. But everybody comes from somewhere looking for land, food, and a place to call home. I'm Katie Stone, and here at the Children's Hour, we wanted to learn more about the history of the place we call home. In this series, we're diving into how the high desert region of the southwestern United States came to be what it is today, and who's shaped that history along the way. This is A Brief History of the American Southwest for Kids. Our first episode focused on the oldest footprints found in North America at White Sands National Park. We know those people were mostly migrants moving from place to place. Eventually, humans started settling down. For over 10,000 years, communities grew in the desert, leaving elaborate roads and structures that still remain today. We're heading now to Chaco Canyon, in the northwest corner of what's now called New Mexico. I know where that is. What do you know? Chaco Canyon was home to the ancestral Pueblo people. They started settling the area in the third century with small villages. But by the 10th century, Chaco Canyon became a thriving destination for culture and trade across the region and over 200 villages existed outside the canyon using its unique building styles. If you add all that land up, the settled region was bigger than England. Wow, I'll let Mr. Nathan Hadfield tell us more. He's a park ranger and chief of interpretation at Chaco Culture National Historic Park. Chaco Canyon is an amazing place. It's not just a national park, but it's also a World Heritage Site. Other World Heritage Sites include the Great Barrier Reef in Australia, the Great Wall of China, and the Taj Mahal in India. So people around the world have recognized that what we have in Chaco Canyon is so special and amazing. If you come to Chaco Canyon, what you're gonna see are giant monumental buildings. These buildings were four or five stories tall. They had several hundred rooms, and they were built over a thousand years ago. A thousand years ago, they didn't have tractors and tools like we have today. It was people using very simple tools to do amazing things. On our virtual field trip, he told us the biggest building in Chaco Canyon is called Pueblo Bonito, which took hundreds of years to finish. It was built with sandstone and mortar. It had a great big open plaza where they might have dances and different ceremonies. And it had several round spaces called kivas where they had special, very special sacred ceremonies as well. And this building, Pueblo Benito, along with other buildings in Chaco, they were more than just buildings. When you think of a monument, you might think of the Washington Monument in Washington, D.C., or the Lincoln Memorial, or some of the monuments that we hold very special for you know, American culture and American society. For the buildings in Chaco Canyon, they were doing the same thing. 
Many modern Pueblo people see buildings like Pueblo Benito as some of the most sacred sites in the story of their people. What's even more amazing is how much we've learned about this ancient civilization without any written records to study. There's no diaries or history books, just these amazing buildings, oral histories, and relics left behind. When Chaco is rediscovered in the late 1800s, a lot of those early explorers thought there must be thousands of people living in all of these giant buildings. And then as archaeologists got smarter, they began to realize there wasn't a lot of other evidence that would support a year-round population. So then the thinking began to shift, that you might have had a year-round population of maybe just a few thousand people in the entire canyon, but during a special event or a ceremony like solstice or equinox, you might have people coming from 50, 60 miles or more. And then once those celebrations were over, they might go back to their year-round homes. But I've seen a lot of debate about actually how many people lived in the canyon year-round. And I think current research tells us that it might have been a few thousand, but not this enormous population that people thought in the early days when they first started to rediscover these giant buildings. Let's bring in archaeologist Mary Wiaki. Last time we talked with her, she told us about the ancient footprints found at White Sands National Park. Those dated back 23,000 years. And now we're talking about 1,000 years ago. That's around 20,000 years later. What can you tell us about that period? There is, a, of course, that transition from when we were migratory and we were walking and leaving footprints in White Sands as well as other locations. And we were all trying to find a better place to become productive human beings. So Chaco was chosen because of Fajada Butte and its spirituality. There's a butte that's in Chaco called Fajada Butte that has a calendar of solstice markers. And so they set this up so they could know and understand transitions in their surroundings, like fall seasons, spring, summer, when to plant, when was the best time to celebrate. Their village was not just made because it was a good location. It was based on lunar and Venus and solar design. So that way you could have passive solar. You could stay warm in the winter and stay cool in the summer. They also knew how to irrigate systems with very little water. They had cisterns. If you think about our landscape at that time, it was pretty flourishable, man. There was so much water, there were animals. But even though there was water and food to be had in Chaco Canyon, what the indigenous people ate was very different from the typical American diet today. What we think is food, you know, cows, pig, chicken, none of that existed. They're having to survive on rabbit. If they killed a deer, that was wonderful because that's a large animal and it could feed lots of people. But mainly they survived off beans, corns, and squash. The three sisters in combination together is the best protein source you can possibly eat. Meat was a luxury. They ate rodents. So you had muskrat on the menu, you had mice on the menu. Prairie dogs were popular, but you used all the pelts. And during that time, nothing could go to waste. As Native people populated the area, they perfected making products from the animals that they hunted. 
I've seen uh, rodent pelts turned into these beautiful cloaks that they gave to the medicine people. They were special. And in addition to building architecture and growing food, the buildings at Chaco Canyon give us a window into other crucial skills indigenous people were honing back then, like the ability to trade between villages. Very early on, archaeologists were finding things inside these old buildings, and they weren't just finding things that were from New Mexico or from the Four Corners area. They were finding things that came from very far away. So that tells us not only these people building these amazing structures, but they were traveling great distances and bringing stuff from maybe as far as 500 miles away to Chaco Canyon. Nathan showed us replicas of jewelry, like a necklace laced with seashells, and bells made from copper for ceremonies and dances. They found burials of a very special kind of bird. This is a scarlet macaw. It's a beautiful bird that lives in tropical areas down near Mexico and what is now Central America. And these birds are very large and they're very colorful. This particular macaw has some beautiful bright red feathers on its head. They also had blue feathers and green feathers. These birds are absolutely gorgeous. And what's special about these birds, not only are they colorful, but those birds can also mimic the human voice. They can talk. Somehow, they made their way to Chaco Canyon. Someone probably brought it up, or maybe someone traveled to the bird's home and brought it back. So I always imagine what it would be like to be in Chaco Canyon the day that the first scarlet macaw arrived. For people that lived in Chaco Canyon their whole lives, they were used to seeing ravens and maybe, uh, you know, crows and, and, and other birds. But then one day someone arrives not only with this huge, colorful bird, but this bird can say words. In just one of the rooms, archaeologists found 14 macaw skeletons at Pueblo Benito and more than 50,000 pieces of turquoise. Many think that they were used in religious rituals and were traded with other nearby communities. Some products tell us about the social order of Chaco Canyon. Here's Mary Wiaki. This trade from all the way from South America and one of the big prizes of trade you have this sometimes that when it's cold outside and snowing and your mom goes in and she puts, you know, milk or water and you mix it and you put these marshmallows in it. And I'm sure you know the name. It's called chocolate or cocoa. So cocoa is coming all the way into Chaco and it's very special and only royalty can drink it. And what determined who was royalty or not? Researchers say power and influence was passed between generations from powerful women. There was no um, patriarchal society, so men were often put to the back of the, of the classroom, so to speak. And the women made a lot of the religious decisions. And the woman who passed, who was royalty, was indeed, you know, a powerful part of that Chaco culture. And her daughter was held in the same regard. And if you look at the items that the mother and daughter had compared to the son, the mother and daughter had greater numbers.
At a certain point, we know the community of Chaco Canyon started moving elsewhere. So what do we know about that? I've heard different theories. We do know that around the time when people started to leave, that did happen at the same time as a drought. So that's one theory, but there's lots of other theories. And I know modern Pueblo people have certain ideas and theories why people began to leave. But one thing that I've heard a lot of Pueblo people say is that we did not abandon Chaco Canyon. It's still a very special place in their culture and in the story of their people. And they still come back and visit and they still use the canyon in different ways. But that's one thing I've been told multiple times that we do not use the word abandon when we talk about Chaco Canyon today. But yeah, there's a lot of theories on why people left, but um, the, the drought is the only one that we can scientifically prove. Water was, of course, uh, a factor. And when the drought came, that drought wasn't just the one year or two year drought. How about 11 to 15 years, possibly, that there was no water, no rain, and the people were losing faith. Royalty passing away made it even more of a, a time where, okay, well, maybe it's time to move on. So they moved, but like Nathan said, we never forgot that that place was a sacred place. And we still leave our cornmeal offerings there, or we go pray and sing songs and honor the old ones. We do that with all our village sites that we had to leave during the time of the great drought. There's so much to learn about all the communities that first settled into our region. Let's see if we can keep track of it all. True or false, the buildings at Chaco Canyon were constructed over a thousand years ago. True, that's a long time, isn't it? True or false, one of the furthest hailing artifacts found at Chaco Canyon was remnants of scarlet macaws. True. Even though they came from tropical areas, scarlet macaws somehow ended up in Chaco Canyon. Next up, true or false, tens of thousands of people inhabited Chaco Canyon all year round. False. Although Chaco Canyon had extensive living space, the year-round population was probably only a few thousand although many more people lived there on and off for special events. True or false, there are no written records from Chaco Canyon to study. True, everything we know has been deduced from the buildings, tombs, and relics left behind. True or false, people often left Chaco Canyon in the winter because it was too cold to live comfortably.
false. The buildings were constructed with lunar and solar designs so that they had passive solar to keep the temperature reasonable all year round. Next up, true or false, the people living in Chaco Canyon largely ate beans, corns, and squash. True. Much of the food we eat now, like pigs, cows, and chicken, weren't available then. So they lived off of deer, rabbits, and most of all, beans, corn, and squash. True or false, people abandoned Chaco Canyon because of a new religious calling. False. Chaco Canyon is not considered abandoned since it's still an important part of many people's history and culture. However, most theories indicate that people moved away from Chaco Canyon because of an extreme drought that lasted perhaps as long as 15 years. I don't know about you, but I'll be dreaming of macaws and hot chocolate tonight. I'm Katie Stone, and you're listening to The Children's Hour, a brief history of the American Southwest for kids. This was episode two in our six-part series. Find a learn-along guide to accompany this episode, which meets national education standards, at childrenshour.org history. This program is made possible in part with the support from the New Mexico Humanities Council and the National Endowment for the Humanities. Any views, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in this program do not necessarily represent those of the National Endowment for the Humanities or the New Mexico Humanities Council. If you'd like to hear the full stories from our virtual field trips, you can find videos of all of our conversations at childrenshour.org history. The Children's Hour is produced by the Children's Hour Incorporated, a New Mexico nonprofit. A Brief History of the American Southwest for Kids was written and produced by me, Katie Stone, and by Christina Stella. We had help from Julia Wolf, Isaac Lacerda, and Lily Mae Williams Hobbs. Our series theme music is performed by Marlon Magdalena, with additional music for this episode by Poddington Bear. Special thanks to our amazing guests, Nathan Hatfield, Chief of Interpretation at Chaco Culture National Park, and archaeologist Mary Wiaki from the Center for New Mexico Archaeology. We had additional support from our history review team, whose members are listed at our website. If you like what you just heard and want to support our work, head to childrenshour.org and visit us anytime on social media at TCH Radio. Thanks for listening to the Children's Hour, Kids Public Radio.